Uh, well, friends, you might know that uh, Australia is home to some of the most poisonous and deadly animals on the planet. But did you realize that many of these animals are actually very, very small in their size? Can anyone think of some small but very deadly animals in Australia? Just call them out if you, if you can think of any. The red-backed spider, yeah, that's one example. Um, many other examples. Uh, for example, the box jellyfish is a relatively small creature. Uh, the blue-ringed octopus is only about uh, five centimeters big. Uh, the Sydney funnel web spider is only a few centimeters in length as well. And uh, even though any one of these animals has enough poison to kill you in a short space of time, uh, they are very, very small in their size, aren't they? Uh, now, I want to suggest that in our passage today, James views the human tongue in a very similar way. Uh, the human tongue is something very small. Uh, I'm told that it's only about uh, half of 1% of our total body weight. But it is disproportionately deadly and destructive and poisonous in its effects. Uh, listen to what James says in chapter 3, verse 8. If you have your Bibles, uh, chapter 3, verse 8 of James, he says uh, that the human tongue is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Full of deadly poison. Clearly, James has a very negative view of the tongue and human speech in general, doesn't he? But why does James speak about the human tongue in uh, this section of his letter? Well, uh, if you've been following our series in the letter of James, you'll know that last week uh, we saw James saying that faith without works is a dead and useless faith. In other words, the person who has a real and genuine and saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ will be the one who has works to show for it, good works to show for it. But when James thinks about the works that Christian people are to do, uh, it's striking, isn't it, that the first thing he mentions is what comes out of our mouths. It's not an accident either, because uh, we've actually seen it before. I wonder whether you can think of where we see uh, this kind of logic in James before. Uh, if you remember, towards the end of chapter 1, James spoke about the importance not only of hearing God's word, but also uh, doing God's word. Just being hearers is not enough to save you, he says. And what's the first thing he speaks about after he lays out this very important principle? Well, in chapter 1, verse 26, if you flip back to chapter 1, verse 26, he says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. You see, when James thinks about what genuine, authentic, saving faith looks like in, a, in, the, in the life of a Christian person, the first thing he thinks about is the way we use our tongues. And so, how are you and I going in using our tongues? If you could replay the things that you have said uh, this past week and the things that have come out of your mouth and my mouth, 
what kind of things do you think you will hear? Do the things that roll off our tongues demonstrate a saving faith or a dead faith? Well, uh, if you have a look at today's passage, uh, you'll notice that James begins there by talking about those who teach God's word in the church. Uh, have a look at chapter 3, verse 1. Uh, he says, chapter 3, verse 1, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers and sisters. Why? Well, it's because those who have a teaching role in the church are those who will be judged more strictly. Now, this isn't saying that, uh, you know, on the day of judgment, Jesus will be uh, more harsh or grumpy or nasty, you know, particularly towards those who teach in the church. Otherwise, um, who would want to be teachers? Who would want to be growth group leaders? But it is recognising that those who teach others in the church are those who have a serious responsibility before God and for other people. And the greater the responsibility, the greater the accountability. In other words, we who teach have greater potential to do more damage to others with the words that we speak. And so on the day of judgment, Jesus will place greater weight on the things that teachers have said and the way they have influenced others. That's why in the Gospels, I don't know whether you've thought about this, but that's why in the Gospels, Jesus is most angry towards who? Well, it's the Pharisees and the teachers of Israel, isn't it? Who are leading Israel astray with their words. And so notice James goes on to say in verse 2 that not many in the church should become teachers because it's so easy for us all to, to stumble in what we say and do damage to others. You know, think about uh, that false teacher of that megachurch who leads thousands of people to their eternal destruction by the things that they teach about the Lord Jesus Christ or the things they don't teach about the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about the celebrity evangelical minister who uses his tongue to bully and intimidate and manipulate other people around him in ways that cause irreversible damage to uh, others and to his ministry. Now think of the many ministers who have lied to their wives and congregations and also to themselves about their sexual purity while having an affair with someone on the side and have destroyed their congregations when their sin has been found out. Now, friends, if you and I are teachers of God's word in the church, whether as a pastor or as a growth group leader, then hear the seriousness of what God is saying here. You will be accountable to him for the way you have used your words. And that's why it requires the maturity of self-control to be a teacher of God's word. And uh, that's the kind of person that James is, is describing in verse 2, isn't it? Uh, in verse 2, he's not talking about someone who, who never once stumbles in what they say, but he's actually talking about the person who is mature, the person who 
consistently uses his words uh, or her words in ways that uh, build others up. James uses the word perfect there, which, you know, to our ears sound like, you know, 10 out of 10 sinless perfection. But he's actually talking about the person who is mature, who is complete and whole because they are self-controlled in their speech. Uh, Now, friends, at at this point, uh, some of you might be thinking, well, phew, um, I never wanted to be a teacher anyway. Um, is Is that what some of us are thinking? But, you know, I don't think James is writing this because he doesn't want Christian people to become teachers. I mean, in one sense, there there is no greater privilege to be a teacher in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ than to be leading other people. Uh, Paul, if you remember, describes the role of teacher in 1 Timothy chapter 3 as a noble task, a wonderful job. Uh, The writer of Hebrews says to long-time Christians, by this time, you ought to be teachers. You know, if you've been a Christian for a long time and you are not able to teach other people the Bible, whether it's your children or to uh, other people uh, that you come across, it's not actually a cause for pride. It's actually a cause for deep shame and repentance, according to God. By this time, you should be teachers, says Paul, uh, says the, the, uh, the writer of the Hebrews, rather. But what James does want to emphasize is the seriousness of the task because of the great damage that teachers can do to other people with their tongues. That's why we mustn't be hasty, friends, in appointing teachers in our church. That's why we need to pray for our teachers, whether it be pastors or uh, your growth group leaders, Uh, or our wonderful children and youth leaders who teach our children the word of God, uh, they are the ones who have stepped up with great courage and accepted this responsibility to teach others. And so if you are a member of a growth group or if you have children uh, in kids' church, then do you pray for these leaders? Do you encourage them that they would use their tongues not only to faithfully teach God's word, but in ways that display godly self-control, in ways that uh, encourage others? That's why we need to ask God to keep on raising up those who are mature in their speech to be leaders who will more and more have this kind of courage to take teaching responsibility in the church. Now, friends, you'll notice that in the rest of our passage this morning, James moves from speaking about teachers in in particular to the use of the tongue more generally. And you'll see there that he he makes a number of observations about the human tongue. And just think whether, you know, the things that he says ring true for you. Firstly, he says that the human tongue is extraordinarily powerful in a way that is all out of proportion to its size. You can see there that he gives two illustrations of what the tongue is like. I love it when uh, 
uh, Bible writers give illustrations because uh, uh, they're usually much better than uh, the things that I can think of. But the first illustration there is that, is that of horses. Uh, you can see it there in verse 3, can't you? Uh, I don't know whether you've ever been horse riding before. Has anyone been horse riding? Um, wow, there's more, more than I thought. Um, but the first time I went horse riding was actually a terrifying experience. Um, I think the owner of the, the horse had a sense of humour because uh, the horse that he gave to me to ride on was a horse by the name of Death. Uh, not, not a good thing to be riding on. Um, but the thing that struck me was just the sheer size of this beast in front of, front of me. You know, when you imagine horses, you don't think that they're that big, but when you get in front of them, they're actually these huge, majestic um, creatures. But the point that James makes here is that these huge animals are actually controlled by a small piece of metal that we put in their mouths. Uh, it's called a bit. In other words, something so small can have such a huge effect, is what James is saying here. Uh, he makes the same point in verse 4, doesn't he, with the illustration of a ship. You know those huge cruise liners that you see docked in Sydney Harbour? Um, no one wants to get on one now, right? But they are massive. They weigh hundreds and thousands of tonnes. They are multiple football fields in length. They carry thousands of people. They're literally a floating city. But I'm told that these ships are actually steered by a rudder that is about one-tenth of one percent of the size of the ship itself. You see, again, something so small can have such a profoundly large effect. But that's what your tongue and my tongue is like, isn't it? It's so small, but it can actually have a powerful effect on ourselves and on our relationships. Now, we shouldn't be surprised at this because God is a God who speaks, remember. And his words are powerful. And so if you and I are people created in the image of God then it shouldn't surprise us that our words can actually be powerful as well, you see. Now, uh, if our tongues are used powerfully for good, then uh, that's obviously a good thing. But notice that James is not really that positive about the way we use our tongues. Uh, for the next observation he makes about the human tongue is about its sheer destructiveness. It's sheer destructiveness. In fact, uh, halfway through verse 5, you can see that he compares the tongue to uh, this raging bushfire. Uh, we're no strangers to bushfires, are we? It was only two years ago that we had the biggest bushfires in living memory in our country. Uh, the amount of land that was destroyed, um, I saw the other day, was literally about the size of Japan. There were thousands of properties destroyed, 33 people perished, billions of animals, both big and small, were incinerated, doing untold damage to the wildlife. But such destruction is usually set off by something very tiny, isn't it? The, ci the cigarette butt that's carelessly tossed out a window 
the little match that is lit by the arsonist, that little spark that jumps from your barbecue. You know, whenever my wife and I have uh, serious fights in our relationship, um, I've noticed that it usually starts with words that uh, we think are small and insignificant. But sometimes uh, those small and insignificant words uh, quickly rage into a, a huge bushfire. Has that ever happened to you? But friends, just look at the way James describes the destructive nature of the tongue. In verse 6, now have a look at verse 6. He describes the tongue as a world of unrighteousness. You know, every kind of sin is expressed through the tongue, isn't it? Greed, lust, lies, hate, jealousy, you name it, you name every sin, uh, you'll be able to express it through your tongue. The whole the tongue has within it a whole world of unrighteousness, the potential for every kind of sin. No other part of your dis- no other part of your body can be described in this way, can it? I mean, you can't say uh, your big foot or your sorry, big, big toe is a is a world of unrighteousness. But you can say that about your tongue, can't you? And my tongue. Because that's where human sin is expressed. Or further on in verse 6, the tongue is described as staining the whole body. I think this is better translated as the tongue corrupting the whole person. Corrupting the whole person. In other words, your tongue and my tongue is not somehow detached from the rest of us. If you and I use our tongues in unrighteous ways, then it will actually affect every part of us, including our thoughts and our feelings and our behavior, so that no part of us is left unaffected, you see. It corrupts the whole person. Or have a look a bit further on in verse 6, where James says that the tongue sets on fire the entire course of your life. In other words, as you and I journey in life, your tongue and my tongue will cause us trouble. (laughs) For some, your tongue will destroy your marriage. For others, your tongue will destroy friendships. For others still, your tongue will estrange you from your children or from other family members. For others still, your tongue will land you in trouble with the law. It sets on fire the whole course of our lives. Or finally, at the end of verse 6, the tongue is set on fire by hell. Now that seems like a pretty full-on thing to say, doesn't it? You know, James seems a little bit overly dramatic. But what James is saying here is that the destructive things that come out of our mouths that harm and destroys relationships with one another is actually influenced by Satan himself, who is the chief resident of hell. You know those harsh words that you have spoken to your spouse this week, if you're married? Or the disrespectful words that you have spoken to your parents, if you're a teenager? The coarse joking that puts other people down or 
is uh, full of sexual innuendo, that juicy gossip that you've passed on about other people that you wouldn't actually say in front of the person that you want to attack, that temp temper tantrum that you've had towards your juniors at work, they all have the touch of Satan about it, is what James is saying here. In fact, the more we use our tongues in this way, our lives actually become more and more hellish, doesn't it? The tongue is so destructive. I know a friend who is in her 40s and still needs to see counsellors and psychologists because of the things that were said to her by her parents repeatedly as she was growing up. 40 years on, and she still can't shake the things that have been said to her so that she feels useless and insecure and unable to live up to people's expectations. We might say, things like sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, but that's simply not true, is it? Bones heal, but sometimes we don't heal from the words that have been spoken to us. And other people don't heal from the words that we speak to them. But friends, here's the real kicker. For notice that James says the destructive things we say with our tongues is something that we cannot control. You know, human beings are able to control so many different things in this world, isn't it? You know, this week I saw online that we've taught elephants how to play soccer. Uh, we've trained dolphins to put a basketball in, in a hoop. Uh, we've, tr we've trained parrots how to sing karaoke. Uh, we've taught our dogs to fetch us our slippers, just not my dog. Uh, we've done some amazing things to control animals and things in this world, but we are just not able to control or tame our very own tongues. Now, James is not talking to out-and-out pagans here, notice. He's talking to Christian people. He's talking to brothers and sisters. He's saying that you and I are just not able to control the things that come out of our mouths. And the proof of this is what pastors like to call the car park miracle. Have you heard of the car park miracle before? You know what it is? Well, just think about the week that you've just had. You know, perhaps you've been very cranky towards your work colleagues and cursed them for not doing their job properly. Uh, if you live with your parents, perhaps you've uh, shouted at your parents and been very disrespectful to them, not willing to hear what they want to say. Uh, if you're married, perhaps you've spoken very harshly to your wife that erodes her trust. Or uh, you've been quite condescending, condescending to your husband and have constantly put him down this week if you are a wife. You haven't really spoken to your kids but just barked out orders at them one after the other. You've promised things to your friends that you haven't actually followed through with. But then on Sunday... You park your car on Swan Avenue as you come into church and this great miracle happens. 
You, know, you start to greet everyone with a smile. You enter the church building and you suddenly sing, Blessed be the name of the Lord. Suddenly you become this really encouraging person that welcomes newcomers and talks the talk. It's a great, great car park miracle. That's what James is talking about in verse 9, isn't it? Have a look at verse 9. With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Uh, you want proof that you and I can't control our tongues? Well, just ask yourself if you've ever had that sort of experience before, the car park miracle. You come to church on a Sunday and sing your praises to God in a heartfelt way, but then from Monday to Saturday, you curse and damage other people who are made in God's image in an equally heartfelt way. You and I are unable to control our tongues. And so what is the answer to the uncontrollable tongue? If our tongues are so powerful and destructive and we cannot do anything to control the things we say, uh, what hope is there for us in using our tongues in a manner that is pleasing to God and will actually be a blessing to other people? Well, I think we are given a big clue in the final part of our passage where James begins to speak about the source of all things. The source of all things. You can see it there in verse 11, can't you? He says, Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? The implied answer to these questions is a big no, isn't it? If you have a freshwater spring, you will get fresh water rather than salt water. If you have a fig tree, it will not bear olives, but it will bear figs. If you have a grapevine, it will not produce figs, but it will produce grapes. In other words, the fruit that you get is determined by the source that it comes from. And so what's the point that James is making here? Well, he's saying that if you really want to understand why the fruit of your mouth is so awful and damaging and destructive and uncontrollable, you need to understand the source of the problem. And what is that source? Well, the source of the human tongue is actually the human heart, isn't it? And it's because we have a heart problem that we have a tongue problem. It's no different to what Jesus himself says. Do you remember what Jesus says in Mark chapter 7? Uh, you might be familiar with Mark chapter 7. Uh, Jesus says, For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come, out, uh, come from within and they defile a person. You see, according to Jesus, it is because the heart is evil and set against God that the things that come out of our tongues are evil and set against God and his ways. And so what do we do about this problem? 
Well, one thing we can't do is to try and fix the problem for ourselves. We've already seen, haven't we, James saying in verse 8, no human being can tame the tongue. You can't do it. I can't do it. James isn't offering us here a self-help manual. He's not giving us seven steps to fixing up your speech, which will soon become a New York Times bestseller. No, he's speaking of the utter futility of trying to fix the problem yourself. You know, just trying to speak in a more kind and loving and less destructive manner is a bit like stapling uh, healthy apples uh, onto the branches of a diseased apple tree. It might look okay for a while from a distance, but it doesn't actually deal with the source of the problem, does it? which is the diseased tree. Now, what you want to do if you want healthy apples is you need a new tree. And that's exactly what James is saying here, isn't it? What James is saying is that if you want to fix your tongue, what you really need to do is not simply to try harder to fix up your speech, but you and I actually need a new heart. We need a heart transplant. And how do you get this new heart? Well, we get this new heart by humbly coming to God, acknowledging our sin and rebellion against him, including our sin that has been expressed through our tongues, and genuinely putting our trust in Jesus, in his death for us on the cross, so that we are washed clean of our sins. And if you respond to God in this way, then God promises to give you a new heart so that slowly but surely he will help you to bear the fruit of lips that praise his name and bless others. And so, is there hope for the uh, office worker who curses his colleagues and makes the office a miserable place for everyone? Is there hope for a husband who can't seem to speak gently but is harsh towards his wife and children? Is there hope for the wife who can't stop belittling her husband or gossiping about others? Is there hope for the teenager who thinks that he or she knows best and is disrespectful to parents? Is there hope for the one who gossips because she is insecure and needs attention? Is there hope for the pastor who constantly rebukes but never encourages? Yes, there is hope, says James. But that hope is not found in yourself. It is found in the God who implants his very word in your heart and gives you a new heart so that you can bear the fruit of lips that bless God's name and bless others. But friends, that will only come if you humble yourself and if I humble myself before God and we repent of the ways in which we have been using our tongues and we resolve to trust God, to allow God to do his work in us so that our speech might be like his speech, gracious, building up, life-giving. And so will you and I respond to God 
in this way, not only today on a Sunday, but as we go from here, uh, will we have God's implanted word in our minds so that we would speak more and more consistently with the new hearts that he has given us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a speaking God and that in the gospel of our Lord Jesus, you have spoken so graciously towards us in a way that has brought forgiveness and a wonderful new life with you. I thank you for continuing to speak to us, reminding us of your grace and teaching us of your ways. Now, Father, we confess that we are people who struggle to be self-controlled in the things we say because of our sinful hearts. Uh, even this week, many of us have used our tongues in ways that have cursed others rather than brought blessing. Many of us have used our tongues uh, to tear down rather than build up. And so please forgive us and cleanse us by the blood of your Son and help us to live consistently with the new hearts that you have given to us. And Father, please help us even this week to be more like our Lord Jesus. Help us to be gracious rather than merciless. Help us to speak truth rather than lies. Help us to encourage rather than tear people down. Help us to be the ones who bring glory and honour to you in the way that we speak. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.